Hello, everybody. Super excited for this episode because in the studio today, uh, Brent Nixon drove all the way down from Ballarat South and got him in the studio. Thank you so much for your time, Brent. Uh, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. So uh, we've got lots to talk about. This is going to be an interesting episode because we're going to ask, I guess, each other questions. Mm-hmm. And um, But I'm going to go first, mm-hmm. ask you the question. Uh, tell us, how did you get into bees? What was that first bee moment? Mm, yeah, well, I, I grew up as a cattle breeder. So we had cows, we bred them, we were no longer on the farm. But after that, I wanted to continue breeding. So I studied genetics at university. Oh, wow. And I was really looking for that next thing that I could get into for breeding. And uh, bees were, so I don't know if you know much about Gregor Mendel. He's the father of genetics. Yes, yeah, Mendel's so, Law or something. Yeah, that's yeah, the one yeah, I do. One, yes, yeah, yeah. Recessive and co-dominant yes. and all those. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. With, with the peas. Was with the pea plants, yeah. The pea yep. plants, yes. Yep. Yep. So short pea plants, big pea, pea yes. plants. So he was a beekeeper. Oh, and wow. he, I did not know that. Yeah, he was. And okay. so he was a monk. And, um, you know, all at that time, most bees were kept at monasteries because they were using the, the bees' wax for, you know, all the monastery stuff. Okay. And so a lot of bees were kept at monasteries and they were doing a lot of the research on bees. And so Mendel, he sort of started the work and he was really into it, but he never really got to that point of understanding breeding. And so I thought that's a, that's a good place to follow on from. And actually Brother Adam, he sort of followed on from Mendel's work. Ah. So Mendel, he tried breeding within a cage so he was he was having queens released from mating nukes sort of thing okay into a cage like a net and trying to mate them that way okay didn't really work so he his work was kind of carried on by brother adam and i was really interested in all that stuff learning it at uni and you know it's a very very complicated bee breeding it's not like you know normal animal yes. sort of breeding where you just have you know you get a male and a female and you kind of work on the lines as you know with the queen she can mate with many different drones. So you've it's very difficult to control, very interesting. Yes. So I was looking at getting into um, beekeeping. After I got married, we, we bought a property down near Geelong. Okay, cool. And it's time to get into, get my bees, you know. And my wife's uncle was a beekeeper. So it ah. was, uh, he sort of, I was talking to her, I said, look, I really want to start a new breeding program. I'm thinking bees are the thing I can use to do, do my breeding program. And he said, well, next time they swarm, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll help you out and get you some bees. And at that stage, my knowledge was only theoretical. Okay. So I knew you know, how the, gene, the genes worked. I knew the history, you know, with Mendel and Brother Adam and yes. read a lot of books about it. But I'd never actually been in a beehive. Okay. So I didn't know anything about them. And so my uncle, or my wife's uncle, sorry, went over there and there was a swarm. It was about 10 metres up a tree. Yes. And he's like, we're going to catch this swarm. And okay. That's your first beehive. Yeah, love it. And so he, he, he gave me a half-size suit. You know, there's one of those ones that's top up. Yes. And um, he went up the tree and started he shaking the tree. He's like, all right, what you want to do is you want to try to get the queen bee in the box. So he gave me a slab box, you know, VB slab yeah, box. Yeah, VB is, yeah. And it was, ten, you know, it was about 10 metres, I'd say, maybe eight metres up. He said, just try and catch the queen. I thought, like, what's he talking yeah, about? That's it. <laughs> well, he must know what he's talking about. So he's shaking it. The bees just sort of dropped down in a big clump, as you know. They'll drop down and, uh, and I got some of them in the box, but not really. Most of them landed my head and they were just everywhere. And, and so he's like, did you catch the queen? <laughs> I don't know. So at this stage, is about eight o'clock at night. Yes. And it's pretty dark. And uh, I, I think we actually did. 
And, he, and, and so he, he said, pull the box down and, and, and the rest will go in. And, and, and actually pulled the box down and they they really just came in. I thought, geez, that's magic. That's, yeah. You know, he really did know what he was talking about. And uh, so we sort of waited an hour, had a good old chat and boxed it up and put it in my Corolla hatchback and yes. took it away. And that was started beekeeping. That was about... It's about eight years ago. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, that's fantastic. And I'm going to jump in another another question because we're going to put in the show notes. Um, well, also too, you've got, actually before I sort of get into the Facebook page, is um, you've got a podcast too. Yes. Yes, yes. tell us about that because it's the more podcasts on bees, the absolute awesome it is. So, so uh, what's that podcast? So my podcast is called Breeding the Honeybee. It's after Brother Adam's book. Okay. So Brother Adam, who was a monk in, in Buckfast, England. Yes. He had a book called Breeding the Honeybee, which is a really, really interesting book. It's quite a, a heavy book. So if you're really interested in breeding, it m- might not be the first book that you want to read. Yes. It's, sort of, it's quite detailed. And uh, I don't think he was he was sort of interested in sort of going into much of the the broader range of beekeeping it was just very very solid breeding type stuff so it's a cool book um so read that book loved it named the podcast after it and i inter i interview breeders all around the world so i've got 11 episodes at the moment and uh, so we talk about different breeding styles there's a few episodes in there v uh, varroa sensitive hygiene which yes. is a really interesting thing particularly at the moment in australia yeah of course you know we don't know which way it's going to go and there's some programs out there corinne jordan's got that really cool yes. program that she yes. started yeah and uh, so we're not sure which way it's going to go uh, dpi doing a great job but we might be sort of looking down that path so i've got a few uh, episodes on that i've got a few episodes uh, from other people in the states you know some commercial stuff um, some people in New Zealand talking about what they've got over there. Ray Butler, she is the Varroa Sensitive Hygiene Breeder in, in New Zealand. Okay. So some interesting stuff that she's been talking about. And uh, also I've I've got an interview there from uh, Buckfast Abbey, ah. which is, you know, one of the main places in the, around the world for beekeeping. Yeah, that's right. So the head of beekeeping there, Claire Densley, she's she's on there. So it's uh, it's been fun. You know, that is awesome. So everyone check that out because that sounds uh, absolutely uh, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely mm. fantastic. All right. Question for me. Fry away, Brent. Yeah. So I, I wanted to cover talk to Ben about, and, you know, his experiences like with queen bees and stuff like that. But I thought it'd also be really cool to talk a little bit about your business, what you've been up to. And I think I'll just take a moment to set the scene here. I'm in this I'm in this factory in Nunawading. It's a really cool place. He's got a little podcast studio here. with some amazing artworks on the walls and it's a really cool space. And we've got the factory with all the, all the cool beekeeping stuff out there. It's, it's, a, it's great. And, and then we've got a truck and two, two other smaller vehicles completely covered in. <laughs> it's really cool. You've got this, uh, the, the, the beekeeper number plates and uh, all of the, all the bee artwork. So it's impossible to miss Ben's place up here. Uh, when I was driving in, there's all of these factories that it's all right. It's, fa- it's factory. It's, it's in the middle. You, you'll see it. And you really do. You know, every, every other factory is gray, black, tinted windows. So, all right, not that one, not that. Then it's just beds, beds, <laughs> yeah. massive. And you got all the trucks and everything. And you, you can't miss it. It's a really cool space you got here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's, and, uh, it's handy. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'd, I th- it would be cool for listeners to know a little bit about how how it is you got into beekeeping initially. So we've we've all seen the photo that you've got. I think I've seen it on Instagram a few times of you when you were a little kid. Yes. 
and you've got your beehives. Yes. So how did it start for, from there? Where, how, did, how did it go getting into it as a, as a business? Oh, as a, as a business. So it started off me keeping bees and I was about, oh, I was about 10, 11 years old. And it's un- only actually recently, Brent, that my mum found this book and it's the uh, Beekeeping UK. Mm. And uh, that was, I guess, my first introduction to this interest and fascination regards to bees was this book. But was, uh, I was 14 uh, grew up as an only child out in the Yarra Valley, a little town called Seville. And I said to mum and dad, I don't want a puppy or a kitten. I wanted a beehive and had to save up my own money. My mum's uh, mum's a pom, so she's a bit uh, tired on the old uh, <laughs> on the old uh, pesos, the mm-hmm. old uh, dollars. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I had to save up my own money, which I was doing fruit picking. I started working at a young age and uh, had $60 and bought myself a beehive. And that sort of started that journey into bees uh, with me, the beekeeper. His name was Benjamin Cox, and he delivered those uh, bees for me. And that sort of, I think it was about a year, 18 months later, actually died. That, But that sort of started my um, my life into the sort of world of bees. Now, fast forward the clock, um, 2008, you know I mean, I sort of always had bees, a little bit on and off. I've done a lot of traveling and lived different places. And... 2008, I started sort of getting right into it, you know what I mean? Started you know, building up those numbers and keeping bees. And it sort of started to sort of take over, you know, doing the swarms and it was sort of doing a bit of licorice all sorts. So the business, you know what I mean? Now, when I say we say business, I tell you now, you know, I work for the bees. It's not the other way around. <laughs> so I really do. So so it's a business. But I suppose I, how I've sort of created myself a successful business is the diversification. Mm. Being so diverse on everything. So diverse from, you know, beeswax candles to pest control, you know, being European wasps. A lot of the city slickers don't know the difference. So, so that's created sort of that business. Um, very consuming. It's definitely not for everyone because it literally is you know, seven days a week, which is fine. You know, I mean, I absolutely love what I do. absolutely love it. Um, but it is really sort of diverse in aspect. So um, I suppose, yeah, that's kind of the, the business in a nutshell as to what I've sort of created. Mm. So you started off with swarms, doing catching some swarms, doing some removals, that type of thing. Yeah, selling selling nukes. Yes, yes. I started off selling those, um, you know, selling uh, nukes and that type of thing. So yeah, so that sort of started, and just gradually, you know, word got out there. That was sort of back when I used to advertise in newspapers. Mm. You know what I mean? And uh, it was you know, in the local in the local rag. The leader, um, you know, advertising that, and it was really sort of taken off because it's obviously interest. It was way before, I suppose, Flow Hive, because mm. that's what created that explosion. You know what mm. I mean? And that's which has been great. That sort of education and interest in the bees, people you know, with Flow Hive, has been brilliant. So that's what created that, um, which has been absolutely exponential, mm. which is in that sort of side of things. So yeah, so it was sort of that liquid all sorts, and then just and I remember making candles, you know, in the kitchen, and just like crap and wax and everywhere. So in the kitchen, and, oh, in the kitchen, really? Was, oh yeah, wax, and I had lino floors, and trying trying to get you know wax off, you know, when it's thin, it's alright when it's thick because you can scrape it off quite easy. You know, and lino floors, and it was just yeah, but that was uh, it's like anything. You got to start off, you got to do your apprenticeship. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, I still think I am an apprentice beekeeper because there's always something to do, something to learn. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, I try to keep the beeswax out of the kitchen these days because I think I messed up the plumbing in my first house. <laughs> yes, yes. I think it's, it, it just, you know, when it's in its liquid form, it's fine. But once it once it, it cools down, it could be a bit of a problem. I think some of it got down the sink and the sink didn't work properly after that. I didn't realise for a few years it was probably that beeswax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what's interesting as well, bringing that up, you've got to watch actually, if, let's say you've got honey, you know, diluted honey can't go down the drain into if you've got a septic tank. Because it mm. actually disrupts the those beneficial bacteria in the in the septic tanks. Yeah, oh, really? and okay. I did not know this. Yeah, I didn't know it. No, and it's a few beekeepers I know. They've actually have to run it out somewhere else or put it in a separate tank because if you've got honey, because it's obviously it's got all those, you know, the enzymes and everything, those good natural properties. The honey can actually disrupt the balance of a septic tank. Mm. Mm. I think it'd be cool for listeners to know also. So when you, you obviously would have started as a sideliner with your business and, uh, you know, selling some nucleuses and all that kind of stuff and doing the, the wax candles and what, what, so what was it like transitioning from doing that as a sideline business to starting it as a full-time sort of business like it is now? Mm. Was that a hard transition? Oh, 100%. It was, uh, to be honest, it was brutal. It was mm. actually brutal because it's the problem is with this gig is it's so seasonal. Mm. You know what I mean? It's you've got, you know, spring, you know, you've got pollination, you get paid for some, you know, various crops. Summertime you've got, you know, honey crops coming through and then wintertime, yeah, okay, you sell a bit of honey, but then there's nothing. So it was very difficult in that aspect. Um I, I remember it was quite a few, must be six, seven years ago when I got my first employee it was actually off a um a tv program a reality tv show called my dream job and i was on that they asked me they were i think they had like a someone who worked in real estate it was on channel nine and uh had peter and peter was a podiatrist mm. and he wanted to he kept a few hives it had half a dozen hives and he come and um helped with uh with me and, and actually on this tv show it actually gave him a job on the tv show it was the only person that done that and I think you can find on YouTube. And it was pretty cool. Anyway, so, um, but it was brutal in the sense of, you know, having a full-time wage, well, two, you know, mine and his, during winter time. Mm. And the money go going backwards in the rate of knots. And I'll never forget then, I had a credit card with a $40,000 limit. And and this happened actually quite for quite a few years where I'd tick that up. And you imagine the interest repayments on that, you know, I think it's 17, 18%. And being that sort of in debt and then just getting through to like September, October and then pay that credit card off and that same process would happen the next year. So, you know, you got money in. A little less each year. A little less each year, that's right. So it's really difficult because the problem is with bees when we look at it on the business aspect is the equipment you need. Mm. I mean, you need so much equipment. I mean, and you can't – and you've got to grow naturally. I mean, if you grow – you know, too fast, too quick, which has been quite a few beekeepers I've seen over the years go hard and fast, too quick, and they fall over. It's not easy. Like, you know, and I think just growing organically and naturally is is the way to do it. So it is, yeah, it's difficult. It is difficult, but it is those hurdles um, that you get through and finding your feet, finding what works is definitely, um, you know, I suppose it's the whole turtle in the rabbit race really 
is um yeah just go nice and slow take the next step forward see how that goes sometimes as you oh maybe step back here step forward another way and keep going and, and See exactly that way, that's know. right brent yeah, exactly. exactly and then every step you take takes a bit more money as well so exactly yeah exactly <laughs> exactly you know, that's uh, the, the fun thing about business and that's uh for me that's what it was like with the breeding uh initially i was just sort of raising queens for my friends yes and once i started bringing in breeding stock from other places and you know those those breeders are expensive and that's when i thought okay you know time to start selling them and you know increasing the business that yeah. way just so i could keep doing it for myself really um, but that's that's something that happens, you know. You have to take that step forward. That's right, exactly. That um, is so right. When you when you sort of started doing as a business, uh, what did you have some funny experiences, like funny stories from that time, just so of, of learning the business and oh, just just probably being massively in debt. Mm. You know what I mean? And just going, wow, this is a black hole. How can I get out of that? You know what I mean? Mm. And that's you know what I mean that. It happened so so um and then seeing but seeing just pushing on pushing on pushing on learning and doing things um yeah it's sort of i suppose funny experiences you know there's there's been there's been lots i was sort of fortunate enough to do a lot of i think back then i sort of don't have much time now to do it because i'm really focusing on that and sort of you know once again buying more equipment and things but was lucky enough to do a lot of TV media work, which was really good, which I thoroughly enjoyed. You know what mm. I mean? There was even, unfortunately, just to start a COVID, there's another reality TV show. It was called Healthy Homes and it got axed because um, cause of COVID. But we're doing some filming for that. Um, but the, the whole media side of things, because it's a very, I love that industry. And, and I'd, I'd sort of done it pre, prior to, you know, bees, because I was sort of working at a pet shop and, um, Actually, funny story. This is you just reminded me, and there was for neighbours, and uh, there was this scene where they needed a rat to jump out of this barbecue. Right. And okay. Yeah. Yep. So, so I had this rat. So I I had this baby rat. I had three months to train this rat. Right. I know it's a bit of a, a sidestep from you bees. had the rat. Yeah, I had the rat. So I had this. I got this baby rat, and uh, you worked at the pet shop. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and yep, I right. and I kept it home, yep. handled it all the time. This beautiful rat. You know, what I mean, it was friendly. I love this rat. Even named it after myself. <laughs> and um, so this rat, anyway, so, and because it's good coin. Like when it comes to media stuff, it's often, you get, whew, unbelievable. You know what I mean? You can see why these, you know, these um, like Chris Hemsworth and that make millions of dollars because it's insane the amount of money they make. So, so you had a little barbecue stage set up out the yes, back, a little prop stage. That's, yeah, well, they're, they're actual. Um, <laughs> little green screen behind it. <laughs> ex- yeah, I think it's Fremantle Media or something. He's up the road in uh, another wadding. Yeah. So um, the big day, it's it was going to be about approximately two hours there with this rat. Put this rat in the barbecue, and they make it look natural because that all greased up, so it doesn't look. It's brand new. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. anyway, I put this rat in there and put the lid down, and we're going to do this film. We had to do a few takes, you know, open up the lid for the barbecue, and there's this rat. Anyway, unbeknownst to me, <laughs> me and my um, lack of animal training, I had this rat in there, and when I opened the lid, maybe from being dark to light, it scared it. And 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 it got a bit scared. This this rat. Anyway, this rat bit me, right? And it was like it was pissed off. It was angry and bit me, and I was bleeding like a stuck pig. <laughs> and here I am, you know, trying to act cool, be you professional, know, be professional, <laughs> and I got this blood just driven off me. So then then there's all this. You know, we're, we're dealing with a world of, 
you know, OH&S and there was a big drama and incident reports and all this. I'm trying to cover this, this you know what I mean? I had me sleeve, you know, trying to soak this this blood. But anyway, they got the shoot and they aired the TV and the rat was good as gold. Mm. You know, the rat was uh, went on to live. I gave that to a uh, a friend's uh, daughter who uh, looked after this uh, this famous little rat. So, yeah, so that was, um yeah, it was kind of kind of cool but yeah the whole media side of things i love you know what i mean because it is very interesting as far as you know behind the scenes of production and directing and all that type of thing mm. it is funny when you have to act professional in a, in a situation like that i remember when i was sort of building up my hives initially i was doing it by doing removals relocations of established hives mainly and it was one of the first ones I was doing, and I found that people were really interested in, in participating. Yes. So I had a few bee suits, and I sort of said, okay, yeah, I've got this bee suit for you, and you can hold a smoker, and we'll do it together. And uh, at the time, it was just very busy, as you said. It's, a, it's you know, you don't have much time to do beekeeping, and I was, I was trying to do things, you know, quickly but professionally. And uh, sometimes I'd take a few shortcuts, and in this particular day, um, here we were doing a removal, and um, like I started getting stung on the neck and I thought, oh, you know, yeah. they've gotten in somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, and the guy who was working with me, he was holding the smoke and he's like, oh, you get a sting, did you? And, uh, and I said, yeah, they sometimes get in. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, maybe it's because your suit's open. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> so That's it. it was completely open. You know, I, only had ju- I just had my veil on and the whole suit was completely open, this really, really feral, like angry yes. hive. And they were just all getting in. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's uh, – I might – you know, try to be a professional. Well, I was just step away here, and uh, as soon as I got out of view, I ran. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know. It's yeah. It's, it's funny those stories of um, getting stung in the um, in the yeah the, the general public. Yeah, and they actually see I had a similar yeah. one where I'll, I'll never forget. It was in Hawthorne Swarm. It was in one of those um, is it Poinciata hedges? Poinciata. I've forgotten the name of the botanical name, but you know those hedges got the small fine leaves. Okay, yeah, yeah it's one yeah, of those. Yeah. So Swarm was in there. It was an overcast day. I'll never forget this. So grab me box, and I'm a, I'm a big gun ho. I don't know. I think I've got ADHD or something. <laughs> so so I go in there, grab the box, and I shake these bees in, and, and a few people walking because it's a busy side of town in Hawthorne, and a few people were seeing. You know, um, I shake these bees in, and they went ballistic. And I'm not wearing a veil or anything. And I got it's ha- a swarm. A swarm, yeah. yeah. And I got absolutely hammered. They must have been hungry or starving this morning because they were feral. Yeah, that's not Co- normal, is it? No, Usually it's not. No, up. that's right. I think there'd been weather and so forth and absolutely hammered. And just that walking away to go get my uh, my veil and just pulling out these bee stings. Because there was a few people watching, so you got to act that sort of cool, calm and collected. Yeah, like I get a few stings. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I was just in pain, <laughs> exactly, because they hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, especially in the face, they tickle. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was that reminded me of that story. But um, so so question, Brett. So your, your profession, you're a teacher. Yes. Yes, yeah. yeah. School teacher. School teacher. Yes. Little kids or big kids? Uh, secondary. A secondary. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so, yeah. Yeah, I teach science and, and German. Oh, giant, uh, yeah. science of German. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Now, this day and age, you're not allowed to hit the kids anymore, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. No, definitely not. It's, uh, it, uh, yeah, that is a long time in the past. Yeah, well, I used was to get it, hit. Was it you, when, you, when you were a kid, people could still do it? Oh, 100%. And not do it. Oh, no, that's absolutely yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah, even across the face. Okay. Wow. It's, yeah. Oh, that's brutal. It is It is brutal. Um, but I'm sure you've probably got one kid in the, in the class you'd love to give him a bit of a smack. I think no. I think that, I mean, it's not really. It's right. like I mean, it's it, 
teaching is challenge. Yes, but, oh, definitely. Um, it's it's one of those things, and and there's a lot of teachers out there. It's a big profession, and, yes. and so people listening to this, you know, there's going to be, and there's a lot of teachers who are beekeepers. You would know that it's it's you know at the end of the summer holidays you miss it. You know, yes. you're just like oh, you yeah. really want to get back in the classroom. Yeah, because, okay, cool. You know, cool. the kids are the kids are great. They're great to work with and um, you know, sometimes there's, you know, a bit of behavior and stuff yeah. like that. But it's you know, it's 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 lively, it's fun, it's 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 it really is a fantastic job. Yeah, that's awesome. Know, I really recommend it. Anyone here in here is listening to the thinking of a career, best career. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I've got to say I'll apologize now to my teachers, um, Mr. Spalding. Um, because I was a naughty little prick of a kid. <laughs> it's, um, really, really was. I was cheeky. Uh, not destructive, but just cheeky. So it's, um, <laughs> so I'll apologize <laughs> right now. But that Mr. was Mr. Yeah. Spalding, Mr. Spalding, Dean probably, Spalding. He pr- you're probably his favorite student. Yeah, you know? well, I'll be the one he remembers, that's for sure. Yeah, no, no <laughs> seriously, though, some of those times, like you, you, you know, students will come up to me from the past and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Nixon, I was such a bad student. I was like, you kidding? You were the, one of the best students I had. So much fun. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, you'd be surprised. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, now, now, as I said, we said before at the introduction, um, awesome Facebook page, which has absolutely grown exponentially, is, um, and I'll, we'll put this in the, the show notes too, Queen Bee Rearing Australia. Yeah, the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah the Facebook group. So yeah. um, when did you start that and why did you start it, Brent? Um, so something that I've been interested in doing for a long time uh, is uh, helping people raise their own queens. So cool. I've always been a big advocate for encouraging people to raise their own queens, give it a try. And uh, over the years, you know, I sell queens to people. It's a, it's a little sideline business yeah, of awesome. doing the breeding and selling queens and a lot of times um i'll just say to people look you should give this a go and there seems to be a bit of a barrier to people doing that they don't really want to give it a try and so i've got the podcast so that helps a little bit with people and uh here in australia i wanted to start this group a queen beer in australia just to get people to to get together share their experiences and it actually i think it was pretty good timing because it started the group about a month before the varroa Oh, okay. Uh, discovery yes. of Varroa. Okay. So all of a sudden, uh, Tassie shut down. You know, they yes. weren't taking queens. No, that's right. Yep. Uh, a lot of places, a lot of the breeders, like a lot of the breeding stock up in New South Wales, there was sort of, it was a bit iffy if we were yep. going to be able to get, get yep. that. And I wasn't able to get breeder queens um, from that area. And so, you know, all of a sudden people were, you know, they were in a position where they had to start. You mm. know, there's no choice, especially in Tassie. Mm. So it was really good to be able to have that space um, where we could we could get people in and give them some advice, encourage people. So that's been really good. So there was a lot of people coming to it during that time, and uh, I've got a few people helping out with that. Steph Parsons, who yes, yeah, 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 she's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's cool. Yeah, and, and Laura Patmore, she's uh, from up in New South Wales. And so you know we we have this group. And so if you're out there and you want to have a go at raising your own queens. If you, it's it's actually t- in my in my experience, it's the most fun thing you can do as a beekeeper. Yeah. I think you know okay. raising queens. It's really really interesting. So if you want to give it a try, jump on the group and we'll help you out. And uh, I think it's a, it's a cool thing to do. Now, as as someone who deals a lot with the public, Ben, do you find what what do you think the biggest barrier people have for for giving it a go is? Oh, it's probably the anxiety that bees sting. 
Is there, and, and I the mean, co- I mean, breeding. Like, oh, or, breeding. Sorry, breeding in the queens. Not just raising your own. Queens. Oh, sorry, queens. Okay, yeah, it's, yeah. Okay, so as far as why that is, probably looking at. You know, I mean, there's a lot to it to go. Okay, how do I do that? Do I need all this specialized equipment? Do I need? How can I actually produce a queen? It's probably the lack of knowledge. You know, what I mean, if we look at say, the the general public, um, is the the lack of knowledge, and also thinking they need, you know. 5, 10, 20 boxes in order to breed queens. So um, there's that, that would be probably the number one point. Number two, I think a lot of these people, especially ones I'm dealing with, you know, running one or two hives, is they the lack of time on their part. You know I mean? It could be a, a doctor, surgeon, ortho, orthodontist, or someone like that who doesn't have the time to actually breed them. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, that would be the second point. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, well, there's some really interesting methods that you can try. So you actually don't need a lot of specialized equipment to raise queens. Yes, yes. Um, so you can use different methods. There's um, the laying cage. Have you ever seen the laying cage? No. Tell so, us about that. Yeah. So uh, Genta have. Oh, Genta. Yes. The and and Nikot. Nikot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Nikot. Nikot. Well. Nikot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, maybe you're pronouncing it right. I've only. Ever no, seen no, no, no. It's yeah. <laughs> potato, potato, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Castle, castle. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So you so you can use the Lang cage, and there's a really uh, well-known queen breeder in the UK, Duncan Simmons. I've had him on the podcast. Okay, he swears by the Lang cage, so he's probably one of the most well-known breeders in the UK. Loves using the Lang cage, and what this cage is, it's a little square cage. It's about ten centimeters by ten centimeters, maybe a bit bigger. Yep. And um, you put it in the middle of a frame. Some people put it in, they sort of put it into a plastic frame, cut a hole in a plastic frame, yes, put it yes. in there. Yep. Some people put it in a wax frame. And basically you put the queen into the laying cage and she lays in these little cups, which you can then put into a bigger kind of cup and then put them on a cell bar and they hang upside down. And if you're engrafting is a difficult thing to do. Mm, definitely. It's, it's quite easy once you've had practice. But in the beginning, it can be difficult. Yeah. So if you don't want to sort of put in the time to learn how to graft or if you've, you know, maybe it's your eyesight or something like that, the laying cage is a really cool thing and you can you can get really, really good larvae from that. So, and, and another good thing, and this is something Duncan taught me, is that, you know, it's less interference because yes. you can actually touch the larvae. Yeah, that's right. So that's exactly. another yes. good thing. So you can use those, which are really cool. And he had an interesting tip for me when he was talking to me. He said that he keeps them in the hive the whole time. Ah, so the actual kits, like the, the yes. gender kit. Okay, yes. yeah, okay. So because some people I've tried, I've, I've talked to over the years have said they had no success with them, but he said the reason why is because they take them straight out of the packet and put yes. them in the hive. The bees don't like it. They, no. they don't like the smell. Yes. They don't yep. trust it. So he keeps his laying cages in the hives at all times. Ah, okay. So that if you're going to try out a laying cage, that's what you can do. You can also use this method. It's called the Miller method. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, tell us about that. That's a cool thing. So you can take a uh, a frame that's got eggs in it, or well, a frame right from the middle of the brood yep, nest, yep. and you can cut these little V shapes in the bottom. So I think two works the best, the yes. most efficient approach. So you cut two Vs, and it looks like a little sort of squiggly line, yes. like a thunderbolt or something like that, a lightning bolt. And then you put it back into the hive, and the bees will draw queen cells from them. It's just something to do with the angle. It's yes. been discovered that they will draw all these queen cells on the bottom of the Vs. Okay. So you can actually then cut those out and put them into some mating nukes. So, and with mating nukes, you can get the little polystyrene mating nukes, yes. which are pretty good. Yep. 
you can make your own mating nukes like I use, which is a sort of a queen castle, you know, where you uh, partition a hive into, okay, yes. yep. into four or In three the, different yep. you know, sections. Use the, yep. Yeah, sections and use the frames. So then you can take the queen cells out and uh, raise them that way. So, and then there's also walkaway, sli- uh, walkaway splits. Yes. So that's, um, you know, that's how you would do a normal split anyway. But you could split it into four and, say, raise some queens that way. So this. There's many different ways that you can look at it, and it's it's a fun thing. And if you've got a really nice queen that you could use from your apiary, and this is what I did initially before I started bringing in breeding stock, is I was just breeding from my my favorite queens. And so if you've got a really nice queen, mm. it's, a, it's a great way of uh, sort of having some more fun in, in the beekeeping experience and, and getting some some free queens. It's, 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 it's good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And what about, what's your thoughts, Brent, on drones, like having... Like drone mothers, are you sort of obviously we can get pretty you know, queen rearing can get technical, you know, into artificial insemination, go that other spectrum, that other that other side of things. But yeah, you know, what about drones? Because sometimes, and I notice here in Victoria, you know, we want queens early. You know, start of September would be awesome, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes the lack of drones. So, what are your thoughts on that? So. Um, at the start of spring, it's really interesting. I'll never forget the very first time that I looked in. So I got my first beehive in the middle of sort of the late spring, you know, with yep. my swarm and yep. worked on it over summer. And, you know, I was sort of reading the books and checking all these things and it was really cool. Saw some drones, but it wasn't anything compared to the start of spring, you know. Yes. So I I'd put a lot of hives on canola at the start of spring and that will bring in the drone numbers Yes. Massively, you know. Yes. So I'll never, I'll never forget the first time in the start of spring, sort of midway through that canola period, pulling out a frame and just seeing drones absolutely yes. everywhere. Coming, yes. So sort of, I think that you know, a couple of weeks into spring, you're going to have a fair few drones around, yes. even if it's in the middle of the city. That it's not a big issue, and I'm able to still, even in Victoria where it's really cold in Ballarat, and I was previously in Geelong, I, I still find that there's a fair few drones still you can get drones in May. Mm. They're, st- they're still around. Yes, yeah. So it's not, there's definitely none now. Well, I haven't seen any at the moment floating around, but, you know, I don't think it's a big issue. But one thing that a lot of people will do if they're raising their own queens is they'll do a drone saturation. Okay. So they'll have uh, some hives where they'll put in drone comb. Yes. And uh, get particular, what are called drone mothers, which is these queens that are, have the good genetics and they're going to lay lots and lots of drones. And that's what I do. I have an area where I've got bunch of hives with good drone mothers and i have drone comb in there so i'm getting as many of my own drones in the area as possible and that i can do that because that's a that's a focus of mine and the average person probably can't do that yes but yep. i think that in terms of drones so there's going to be plenty out there and in, in a city condition i think that there's there's more than enough drones for that yeah that definitely need. especially yeah. if you're doing it late spring early summer there's, there's drones everywhere yes mm. is and any negative side let's say someone wanting to uh, breed a couple of queens. What would be you know the two biggest challenges you think they'd have doing it in their backyard? Uh, I think the, uh, the the I think the the first thing is that a lot of people don't try it, and so there's not a lot of people to talk to mm, about yep. it. And uh, you know a lot of people just buy their queens, and so you know that's why we started the Facebook group so people could sort of learn and, and share ideas and things like that. So that'd be number one. And the second one would be having the breeding stock. Yeah. So you okay. can produce some pretty good queens from from your own stock if you have some really, really good um, bees and you really like them. But if you don't, buying in a queen is always a good way of doing it as well and you can improve 
the genetics pretty much straight away um, by buying in queens. So it's not necessary. Mm. You, can, you, yep. can, you can raise great queens from your own stock, but if, you, if you're getting a breeder queen, you know, something like that, you can increase and, and it might be something that you're looking for. You can, might be looking for more honey production or in my case, I really like gentle bees. So I've been, from, from the very day I started beekeeping, I've been really obsessed with not wearing a suit. Yeah. That was a big problem it's, it's, for me in the early days. Yes, yeah. Because I, uh, I didn't really understand the impact of good genetics in that regard. Yes. So if you're someone out there who, who doesn't like wearing a suit and you want to really calm bees, it is very important to have good genetics. And uh, so initially when I was with, you know, keeping bees – Saw these videos of Brother Adam, you know, the the monk from from England, yes, and, yeah. and a bunch of other people on YouTube wearing no suit and being completely fine. I thought, how are they doing this? You know, and then I, I sort of later discovered through having some some good breeding stock coming in that it, it has a big part to do with it is a breeding stock and having good genetics. So that that's a good thing. If you are planning to get in, into queen raising, it is probably good to invest in a good breeder queen and. In that regard, I think it's really good to get a few friends involved so you can spread those costs. You know, maybe if a, this is something that I haven't really heard of clubs doing this, but I think it'd be a really cool thing if clubs were to get their own sort of little team and work together and share the breeding stock and think that would really, really help spread those costs. Oh, I agree. You know, I mean, it's, it would be awesome for clubs to sort of get into it. Mm. You know I mean, and do it on a really sort of, you know, uh, level because that's going to help. Mm. You know what I mean? And people, I suppose the recreational amateur beekeeper is going to have more understanding about their hive because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I mean, having bees in a colony and it's one thing and maintaining that over a year, but actually going, okay, queens, you know, they need to put a queen in there or produce their own hives or more numbers because, you know, generally speaking, a lot of beekeepers start off with one and end up with uh, end up with 100. So, um, yeah, very interesting. And local stock. So yes. if you're raising your own queens, they're also going to go out there and mate with local stock. So they're going to be well suited to yes. your local conditions. I agree. So that's a really important thing. I think it's important for Tasmania and Victoria where we have colder conditions, wetter conditions. So having mm. local stock that's oh, going to adapt throughout that time is, is, is pretty important too. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree. No, I certainly agree, Brent. Um, and what about the, I suppose, the beekeeping industry? You know I mean? Obviously, we've got Varroa. Which is interesting. What's your thoughts? What where where do you see it in the next two to five years? You know, bees as an industry, both commercially and you know, recreational beekeepers. With considering Varroa is going yeah. to take hold. Oh or? yeah, well, is it? What do you think? What's your uh, if you're a gambling man? Are we are we stuck with Varroa, or do you think it's um, or the the good team at the DPI can get rid of it? I've I've been absolutely amazed at their response. I think they've done an incredible job. And uh, I think that they've got a good shot at beating it. But having said that, a lot of people I speak to in the States say, you know. Good luck. Get, yeah, get, yeah, get prepared. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we're talking to people in New Zealand and in the States and when it came in for them and how it took hold. They've, you know, they've, they've learned to deal with it. Yeah. And so I think we can learn too. But I really think, I really stand behind DPI and think that they will continue to do a good job. And uh, I'm really... I think that they, they, they've got a good shot at beating it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah no, I agree. And they're doing an awesome job. I've, I've um, said before, the volunteers, you know what I mean, they're really just working hard, you know mm. what I mean? And for that, um, I'm very appreciative and grateful mm. to the crew. At, um, but at in DPI. terms of, you know, we've got some fantastic breeders here in this country, bee breeders, 
and I think that over the next couple of years, it'll be it'll be good for to see a few more start as well. Yeah, um, I agree. But we've got some really, really, really cool breeders here. We've got, um, you know, you had Corinne Jordan on the show. Yes, she's doing the artificial insemination. Yeah, awesome. She, and yes, she has yeah. she's well known for the uh, for the uh, Cordovan queens. Yes, she's yeah. really cool. Yes, yeah, the, yeah. The Italian queen bees. And we've got some really cool stuff happening over in WA with the Rottnest Breeding Program. Yes. That, that is a really cool, the island mating. And so it'll be and there's some new beekeepers getting into that. So every year they've got new members going into it and and uh, starting the breeding program. And a lot of people don't know that you can actually get Rottnest breeders here in Victoria. Yes. You can can have them sent over. Yes. So uh, we've got some some people over there. Um, Steve, Steve uh, from Steve's Queens, he, he, yes. he, he will send you – Rottnest Queens, so yeah. you can get them here in Victoria. I've got some. I'm, I'm really, yeah, got some messing around with them at the moment. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. So, it's I've got some in just after January. Yes, and uh, so we'll see how they go over winter. Okay. Yeah, but nice, beautiful looking bee, nice and yeah. calm. So, but I, I, that's as bad as all I can say for this stage because the winter time can be, as you say, it's cold, it can be tough. But so is you know Rottnest Island is. I think it's on that similar latitude. Yeah, a yeah. bit higher. Is it a bit higher? So they're a bit higher. Yes. Are they a bit higher or a lot higher? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just—it's <laughs> interesting because I think Perth is very yeah similar. Obviously, I know it's a bit Rottnest Island's a bit north of uh, Perth mm. on the on the west coast, but yeah, which is kind of um, yeah. So yeah, anyway, so I got some first time. Yeah, it's a perfect space over there for 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 breeding because it's just far enough away that the drones and the queens can't meet up in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, you whatever's over there, it's it's just what they bring over there. And they, they do the Italian bee there. They don't yes. have the Cordovan gene in WA. Yes. So everything they breed is just the straight Italian bee. And um, they're thinking about trying to get some some drone semen in there at the moment to mix up the, the genes. And I'm not really sure what type of barriers they've got in, in, in place for that. But, yeah, they've been isolated for a long time over there. Yes. And we've got some really great breeders here in the, the eastern states as well. So really cool, interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, some world-leading uh, type of tech, I guess you could say. So do you know about the Horner system? Now tell us about that. The, so Joe Horner's system. It's really, really cool. So he's a breeder here in, uh, in Australia. And he does this system. It's called uh, time-delayed mating, which is ah, yes, yeah, yes, yes. a really cool system. It's, it's, it's he's a pioneer. So the family developed it together. Yes. And they, they do this time-delayed mating. So they have this, um, on his property, they've got this site where it's, it's an iso- uh, sorry it's an insulated shed where they keep the bees at 15 degrees throughout the day and then they bring them out on these little train tracks yes. uh, uh, you know, later in the afternoon once all of the, the feral drones have gone home. Gone to bed. And yep. then they release their own drones. So it's really cool to see. Um, they've got all of these drone colonies where they release all of these drones from their own stock, the drone mothers. They fly out and the whole sky is just full of drones. You know, you just see them. They're coming out. They're flying everywhere. Just the, the sky is lit up. Yes. Heaps and heaps of drones. And then they bring out the little mating nukes on the on the train line. Oh, the train line. That's yeah, awesome. they just come out in a little train track. It's like going to one of those amusement parks and you see the little trains coming out. It's just like that, but it's beehives. Yeah. You know, little little four-way mating nukes. And they, they release the queens and it's cool. You stand there and you see, you know, and Joe, uh, Joe Horner, he's the, the main breeder there. He, he's so excited. He's like, watch, watch, watch. And, and you know, here, here it comes. And then, then the queens start coming out. Yeah. And they take off and they, 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 they do their little orientation flight and then they come back in the next day. They take off and they go out and mate. And 
it's a really cool system. So it's it's sort of sort of a natural way. You know, it's not artificial insemination. Yes, controlled. Delay. Yeah, it's controlled. Controlled. And it's mm. and it's it's you know th- that only happens as far as I know here in Australia. So yeah. you know we've got some really pioneering kind of breeders here. It's exactly. That's so um so true. Oh, now I've got to jump in. You said the word Cordovan. Yeah. It's yeah. What's it? What's the? What do I say? I say Cordovan. Cordovan. Yeah. I say Cordovan, and it just reminded me of a funny story with uh, Nigella Lawson. You know the the TV chef. You know, most people say it's a microwave, but she calls it a microwave. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just reminding me of that. A microwave. Yeah. yeah. So what the hell, Nigella? Um, she's my favorite um, TV celebrity chef. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I always get corrected on the way I th- say things because a lot of times I I just I read it and uh, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. And so I was yes. just interviewing a mate of mine in South Africa the other day and they have the Apis mellifera scutellata. Yes. And I wasn't sure how to say it. Yes. And I said, is this how you say it? He's like, yeah, no, we call them scoots. We call them scoots for <laughs> yeah. sure. Exactly. So that that's an interesting story, by the way. If So people here, listeners, they, they would, would have heard of the killer bee in the United yes. States. Yes. So that would that have if you heard the story of how that happened yeah it was in uh, brazil wasn't it yeah yeah it was in brazil yeah, yeah. tell us though we yeah, want to hear a it cool story so in south africa they have um, the cape bee which is just a, a bee in cape town and it's protected by a little mountain range and it's a very lovely bee you know people love working with it and then over the mountain range they've got the apis mellifera scutellita which is a very aggressive bee yes very aggressive bee but it's really, really, a, a really good producer of honey. And, um, and, and it's actually, which is something I didn't know, they are able to naturally repel varroa. Mm. So they have varroa in Africa. Yes. And I, I saw, I asked this uh, friend of mine, Moritz, uh, how, how do you do, how do you deal with varroa? And he said, oh, I've seen it a few times, but because they have a shorter life cycle or so, so, sorry, a shorter cell cycle, um, they're able to not have a bit of a varroa issue. Oh, so they're, they're, okay. they're emerging from the cells earlier. And uh, so ah, what we normally used to is 21 days. They're merging from the cell after 21 days as the workers. They're coming out a couple of days earlier, apparently. I didn't know this until speaking to it. But because of that, they're able to sort of deal with varroa better yeah, than us. So even cycle. though varroa is in Africa, it's not an issue. Anyway, this uh, scutellata, the scoots, they, it was uh, a Brazilian scientist yeah. who thought, they they were they had apparently Italian bees in in Brazil before that, but they weren't dealing too well with the tropical conditions. So they thought, all right, we need to bring in another bee and see if they can do better at producing honey in these tropical conditions. So he went to South Africa, got this bee, the scutellata, and they were doing research on it in Brazil, um, in Sao Paulo. Is that how you say? It? I should have checked on that. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. Yes. Sorry for Brazilians. <laughs> I should have checked how to pronounce that. I looked at it and thought, how do I how do I say that city? Anyway, that's the place where they were. And uh, and they were working on these scutellata bees and seeing, oh, they, yes, they're producing amazing um, honey crops and they're, you know, they're okay to work with, a little bit aggressive, but this is really cool. And what they had is they had a queen excluder underneath the hive <laughs> yes. to stop the drones from getting out and to stop the queen from getting out, swarming out. So essentially, even though they were using these scutellata bees, they thought, all right, well, it's, they're not going to go anywhere because they can't. And even though the workers are out flying around, that's no biggie. But what the story goes, and this is in the 50s, that a visiting beekeeper came to have a look at these bees and they're like, who has put these queen excluders at the bottom of the hives? That's not how you're supposed to do it. 
So they took them all <laughs> off and yeah. next minute they're all gone and you can see it on Google if you search yes, up there, yeah. the killer bees, that's what they like calling them, the killer bees, their progression through South America and then through Central America and then into the United States. They got there in about the 80s. And they, the technical name, I think, is Africanized honeybee. Yes. Um, which is the combination of the two. And they they basically outbreed uh, all of the other bees. Yes. So if they go into an area, they just sort of outcompete them. And within a few years of them being in the area, they'll sort of be 90% of the feral population. Yeah, exactly. And also they're good at dealing with varroa, so... Yeah, very yeah, yeah, very interesting, isn't it? Mm, it's yeah, interesting how the different bees are dealing with it. Yeah, no, certainly. And the Russian honeybee as well. You know, they de- they they're a lot better at dealing with varroa because they sort of evolved at a similar time to them. Okay, you know, they yes, could, yep. The varroa is coming from Asia, and uh, the Russian honeybees that they think it jumped from them into the European honeybees at some point. So Russian honeybees are a little bit better at dealing with it. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it? Mm. Very very interesting. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I've got a, another question for you. Probably the last question i got for you, Brent, is uh, winter time. Now, what do you do to get ready for spring? Well, I mean, I do a lot of my podcasts in winter. Yes, yes. <laughs> yep. uh, so I like to talk to people in the US, so I have to do that when it's their winter. Oh, okay. I've, yes. Yeah, talking yep. to a few people, friends in New Zealand at the moment and – and now a few friends here in Australia, but uh, you know, getting ready for you know, just getting ready my hives, I'm doing all my numbers and doing all my calculations, and you know, keeping track of my breeding stock at, yeah, at the awesome. moment, yep. which is a big winter job. Yeah, and uh, lots of sugar. Yes, yeah, <laughs> feeding it. Yeah, hasn't the price gone through the roof though? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was running a bit lowered sugar the other day, and well, I was like, do you need to think of the supermarket? Oh, sugar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 50, <laughs> 53 kilo bags, please, Just, love. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, always, always, yeah. They, they're, especially in Ballarat this time of year, it's so cold. And um, I keep my bees in Ballarat over winter. Yes, um, yeah. Well, you know, even before I lived in Ballarat, I kept them there over winter because that's where my mating station is yes, in yep. Ballarat. And you know, when I lived in Geelong, I'd still go up there. Yep. And uh, yeah, so lots of sugar at the moment. And uh, yeah, hopefully winter, hopefully spring is coming soon. I've, I'm actually going tomorrow to check out a new canola site. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yes, so yep. you know, yes. that'd be great. Well, wouldn't it be nice to have canola, like, you know, to breed up bees, um, you know, that went for six months of the year, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be good, but it does come at a perfect time. It does, you know, yes. Right yeah. after winter. Right after winter. It, you know, it kicks in early and it's still cold. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful plant. And for those people who are thinking about jumping on canola, it's um, you've got to watch the swarming. Yeah. You, oh have, yeah. you know, you've got mm. to be super careful with the swarming. So make sure the bees have got a lot of space. Um, younger queens are best. Yes. Yeah. You know, so watch, watch out for your swarming because they, they love swarming out on canola. Exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's you have right. to be close enough as well because, you know, you've got to make sure they're not creating those swarm cells, jump in them pretty often to make sure that they're, they're, they're staying on track. Otherwise, you, you will lose them on canola. Exactly. Yeah, no, I totally, uh, totally agree. Um, that was awesome. That was a really good episode. Any um, last questions for me, Brent? Uh, well, just uh, so what about you? What are you doing in winter? Oh, so, well, for me, it's a case of, you know, I've learnt, you know, I learnt this long time ago to just have everything ready mm-hmm. And if you think you need 10 of something, get 20. Mm-hmm. If you think you need 50 or something, get 100. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that. So, you know, making boxes. So we sort of, uh, 
you know, all of those. I get the um, New Zealand, oh, a bit of um, Australian timber as well, uh, but mostly New Zealand timber. Um, boxes, putting those together, frames, all those jobs. Got swarm boxes already with frames. Uh, so all of that, that's um, pretty much, um, yeah, getting ready for spring. So if we're going to have everything ready, even things like, say, having supers with frames in it ready to go, I've got a little storage joint down the road that I just have them all ready. So now it seems pretty basic, but, you know, when you've got to put, say, frames in 200 supers you know, ready for the honey flow, trust me, that can take some time. So I sort of look on a time management point of view, go, okay, you know, during winter have little things like that done. You know, swarm boxes, you know, we've got all those ready with frames. So anything I can do now that's going to save time in spring, I do it. So, um, but that's pretty much it. And then, um, yeah, count down those days and then it's like, you know, hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that first sort of, um, you know, that first swarm, which is generally looking at history gone by, the first swarm I get in town in Melbourne's around that 30th to 31st of August. That's the first one. Uh, sometimes they're like more coastal or sort of like Brighton by Morris type area. Um, so that's the first one that's always exciting. And then, and then um, yeah, hit the ground running mm-hmm. and it's all systems go. So that's that's about my sort of what we're sort of doing. Um, but yeah, let's uh, sell a bit of honey this time of year, which is always nice. Uh, just for that sort of, I guess, on a business uh, perspective to have that cash flow coming through. So, you know, selling a little bit of honey, which is, uh, which is good fun. But yeah, that's uh, that's it. And then I'm just looking forward to, yeah, spring. And it's, yeah, all systems go. And what's plans for the next few years? Oh, just plans for the next few years. What's um, just, you know, slowly and steady. You know, I mean, it's start to, yeah, just, yeah, slow and steady is kind of that. Um, plans, yeah, it's just continuing what I'm doing now, but just refining things. You know what I mean? Just trying to do things a little bit better. That little bit better is kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I can't think of an example, but you know, what I mean, kind of just yeah, probably more documentation. Mm-hmm. Got a, an app on my phone, so it's connected to the guys, so we can all look at this um this app and know okay, we've been at this site. This is what we need to do. Um, but that's yeah, just refining things. I got stickers made this year because usually if we do swarm, say we get one from say Ringwood or or Caulfield or something, we're using um duct tape. And right on the date, the date in the suburb of when we got that swarm. Uh, this year, I've got stickers made up. Oh, okay. yeah, it's, yeah, stickers. So that's to actually say, so it looks a bit more professional. So we've got those uh, already to go. But that's about it. Yeah, that's. I'm um, looking forward to um, to that spring and those first swarms. And that's yeah, looking forward to it. That's yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for having me in here today. And then once again, if any listeners out there interested in raising their own queens, uh, hit me up and uh, I'd be happy to give you a hand. I did actually taught a few groups last year how to raise queens because all of a sudden, you know, there was an issue getting queens in from New South yes, Wales. Yeah. So I did a few groups and things like that. So if you're interested in learning, you want to know more, um, love chatting to people on the phone. So let me know and uh, I'd be happy to help. That's awesome. And thank you so much for making the drive. You know I yeah. mean? That was near on two hour drive to, to come into the studio this morning on a Sunday morning. Uh, uh, so, no, th- so thank you, Brent. That was really... Uh, that's great. Dad brought me up. Had it's a yeah. chat on the way. It's, yeah, that's no, awesome. <laughs> no, bit of family time. That's awesome. So yeah. thank you so much for coming in. No worries. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye for now.